0: They cannot be where thou art not. What a beautiful line, a beautiful thought to think about uh, the presence of God uh, with his people in all different kinds of situations. We are, before we go into the sermon, we're going to pray and we're going to pray through song. And so I want to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn to number 569. We like to do these emergency drills every once in a while, pull out the hymnal. Uh, but there's a reason why we're going to do this. Um, I want to make reference to it after we sing it, so you want to keep it open at least for a minute or two following that. But This is called Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. And I had not heard this hymn till I came here to Brentwood 12 years ago. And uh, it has become a song that I have treasured. It's a beautiful prayer. And I would encourage all of us, uh, but especially the youth, to take note of these hymns that we sing. Uh, You will more than likely go off into different places uh, after you you leave here, and you're going to go to different congregations, and every church has their own set of songs, and you will learn new songs. But there's a treasure trove of thoughts and sentiments and challenges to the faith that are... Are beautiful and poetic, and certainly they they speak to different life situations that we are experiencing. And this is one of those songs, and there's a story behind this song. uh, The author, his name is John Greenleaf Whittier, and he wrote this in 1872. And for you history buffs, you know that's right around uh, the Civil War. And uh, Whittier was what you call an abolitionist. He was a staunch abolitionist, and uh, he detested the fact that there was slavery in the United States. And he did everything in his power uh, through journals, through his poetry, through his political savvy, to move people into action against this great evil, something that he saw as anti-gospel. But he was a poet, and a few years after the Civil War, he wrote this poem, and it was set to music later, But as we pray this through song, I would invite us to think about this idea of meeting God, encountering God. We're going to talk a lot about that uh, here in a moment. Well, it's that second line there that really feeds into our sermon this morning. It's that line that talks about the trust of the disciples. And if we recall that story at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, it's when Jesus goes to these fishermen and he says, Follow me. And how do they respond? They drop their nets, and they follow. And Whittier says this, In simple trust, like theirs who heard beside the Syrian sea the gracious calling of the Lord, let us, like them without a word, rise up and follow thee. And the reason why I want to hone in on this verse as in, in conversation with the sermon is because that is something that we yearn for. We, we do yearn for that, that childlike trust of the disciples. But even then, with that initial simple trust that they had, we see and we'll see it in our scripture today that it was very much a journey. Faith is a journey, it's complicated, it's a, a process. And with the disciples, they have these moments of of greatness, great success in their faith, and then they have moments of failure. And we're going to see both in our sermon passage today. Mark chapter 8 beginning in verse 27. If you want to turn over to Mark, the second book of the New Testament, the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Mark chapter 8. Now last week we introduced the theme of renew and the the sermon was about going off into the wilderness really in order to find the renewal that God offers and uh, the challenge was to, to go out into the wilderness, to even have a wilderness mindset. So maybe we're in a space right now where we're not disoriented. Uh, maybe things are in order in our lives, but we can still have a wilderness mindset, uh, a mindset where we are completely dependent upon God on all things at every second of the day. And there are four areas that we are challenging this church to grow in, to renew in 2020. And the first one is encounter. Uh, when we think of the ways that God is recreating us and molding us into the image of Jesus, uh, one of the things that, first things that come to mind is actually meeting with God, engaging with God. And we'll unpack what that is all about here in a few minutes. But first... Let's hear the word of God from Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing that his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed also when he comes in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. May God bless the reading of his word. So here's a, a question for your Chewy's Lunch Conversations. Uh, for those of you who still flip the channels uh, on the television, is there a movie you run across that you cannot not watch I did that for the English majors out there. Is there a movie that you cannot not watch? Uh, maybe it's a guilty pleasure. Uh, but it's a movie that comes on and you know this movie, you've seen it before, you you can quote it, you know how it ends, and yet you can't stop watching it. For me, it's The Karate Kid. Starring Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. I saw this as a little boy in the theater, and I was probably too young to see it. But I can't turn the channel when it's on. And the funny thing is, I have the DVD. I could watch it at any time. But anytime that montage comes on of the tournament with that 80s music in the background, it's must-watch TV for me. It's a simple story. Daniel LaRusso is the new kid in town, and he runs into a group of bullies who are part of the Cobra Kai karate dojo, and they make life miserable for Daniel. They pick on him. They embarrass him. They actually do him physical harm. And then Daniel finds out that the maintenance guy in the, uh, the apartment complex is a karate master, Mr. Miyagi. So they strike a deal, and Mr. Miyagi is going to train Daniel to defend himself against these bullies. uh, But there's one condition. Mr. Miyagi says, I'll train you, but you need to do everything I instruct you to do. No questions asked. And Daniel enthusiastically agrees. And it's at this point where Mr. Miyagi hands Daniel a rag and tells him to go wax all the cars in Mr. Miyagi's collection. And he has to do it a certain way, with a certain technique. The wax on, the wax off. And Daniel does this. He follows the instructions all day and into the night. And his shoulder is hurting, his muscles are aching. And at the end of the day, Miyagi goes, "It's good job, we'll see you tomorrow. So Daniel comes back the next day and Mr. Miyagi hands him a hand sander. To go and sand the entire back deck—that's really takes up the whole backyard—and it takes Daniel all day, and he has to do it a certain way, and uh, his muscles are aching, and this goes on for a few days. Paint the fence, paint the house. Finally, Daniel has had enough. When was he going to learn karate? When was he going to learn how to punch? When was he going to learn how to kick? and grapple Daniel had become Mr. Miyagi's personal slave this is not what he signed up for well in thinking about the karate kid maybe there's a situation that's come to your minds when your expectations were not met Uh, maybe it was a job a relationship Some other situation where you had something pictured in your mind of the way something was supposed to go, but it turned out to be totally different and quite, in fact, it turned out to be quite frustrating. And Maybe you've come to a point where you said those words as well. This is not what I signed up for. Now, I don't know if Peter used that exact phrase. But we see here in this passage, there's a situation that that Peter's run across where his expectations were clearly not being met. And we can hardly blame him when we read the Gospel of Mark. There's a lot happening in Mark. And by the time we get to chapter 8, the disciples had been on this incredible ride. They had been witnesses to to Jesus and all of his miracles. They were called by the Syrian sea. They, They dropped their nets to follow Jesus. They witnessed Jesus teach with great authority. They witnessed Jesus exercising the demons in people and healing the lepers. They witnessed Jesus calming a storm in the Sea of Galilee and raising a girl from the dead. And in our sermon passage, it's time for Jesus to give his disciples a pop quiz. And so he asked them, well first, who do the people say that I am? What's the popular answer? What are the rumors going on around me in the... The disciples give him a a certain set of answers and then Jesus turns to them and says, okay, that's what they say. But after all you have witnessed, who do you say that I am? Let's hear it. And Peter is the one who speaks up. And in this pinnacle moment, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one the Messiah of promise that the people have been waiting for for centuries. And everything in the Gospel of Mark has led up to this passage, this moment in the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Everything after this changes. The tone, the teachings. This is the center of the book. Chronologically, it does fall somewhat in the center, but this is the theological center, if you will, of the Gospel of Mark. And the question is, when we read this, does Peter really know what he's talking about? Does Peter really understand what he is saying when he says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are this one who has been promised? Does he understand the way of the Messiah? Well, I have my doubts because only a few moments later in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gives Peter one of the most harsh rebukes we find in all of scripture. Or, Get behind me, Satan. We wouldn't expect Jesus to say that to one of his disciples. How did this happen? How did we move from from Peter giving this grandiose confession to receiving this harsh rebuke from Jesus? Well, it really comes down to expectations. Peter's version of the Messiah was the popular version. It was filled with the, the visions of the Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy, the Psalms about how there will be a day of renewal when God will set things right and the Messiah will come and the Messiah will be really the hammer. The Messiah will be the military general to take out the Romans or any other nations that are oppressing the people of God. There's, there's the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 2, in talking about the Son of God, how He will rule with an iron scepter. This is the vision that Peter has of the Messiah. And in many ways, Peter had molded Jesus into this image. And given what he had witnessed and the amazing miracles that he had seen, Peter had everything mapped out. He had everything mapped out about who God or who Jesus was and what Jesus was supposed to do. This is what the Messiah is supposed to do. And then then Jesus tells him the way of the Messiah. And it's much different. And he turns that vision on its head. And instead of walking to a throne, the Messiah is going to a cross. And not only that, but he calls on his disciples to follow in the way of the Messiah. And he tells them, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your crosses also. And the disciples expect to receive a sword. It's time for conquest. But instead, Jesus hands them a rag and says, This is the nature of the kingdom of God. And Peter can't handle this. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes Jesus. This is not the way of the Messiah. This is not how the story goes. This is not what Peter signed up for. This is not what he signed up for at the Syrian sea whenever he gave Jesus the simple trust and followed. And this morning, as we think of the call for renewal... And we think about this idea of encounter, encountering God. The story of Peter's confession and Jesus' rebuke is an important word for Brentwood Oaks because Peter gives us the opportunity to reflect on our own expectations of God. So here are a few questions to consider. When we think of encounter, do we encounter God? Do we meet God on His terms? For our own terms. Are we really listening to what God is telling us about him? Or are we filling in the blanks ourselves? Are we ready to receive the hard sayings of Jesus that we find in scripture? Or do we dismiss them in favor of the softer sayings? Do we have the right picture of Jesus in our minds? Or maybe another question, do we have the complete picture of Jesus in our minds or have we molded Jesus into our own image? Have we projected onto Jesus little versions of ourselves? Let me tell you, just knowing myself, that's a scary place to be. To confess and worship a Jesus that is molded into our image Molded around our desires, molded around our vision of happiness and fulfillment. And yet, that's a temptation for the people of God. That's always been a temptation. From the Garden of Eden uh, to the golden calf episode there at the base of Mount Sinai, the people of God have been tempted to mold God into our image and our expectations It's very easy to give our allegiance to a God who speaks what we want to hear and does what we want Him to do. And so we're part of a culture, even a church culture, that has many competing visions of God and who God is. There are some who believe God is a kind of cosmic Santa Claus, a God who wants us to be happy and healthy and monetarily prosperous. And we approach this God, perhaps, with feelings of entitlement. I will do this and that for God, but I expect something in return. God owes me. There are some who view God as a distant landlord. We don't pay attention to God until the water line breaks, and then we call on God to fix the situation, and if God is late, we get upset. There are many, many different images and visions and versions of God that we find even in the church. And granted, these are caricatures and even straw men, and I think we would do well this morning to think of them on a kind of spectrum. Uh, Maybe we don't live in the extremes of these different views of God, but we might find ourselves somewhere in some direction in our hearts carrying a little bit of those visions of God and who God is and what God is about and what God calls on us to do and to be. We have the opportunity this morning to really ask ourselves, does the God whom we confess and worship match up with the God that's actually revealed to us in Scripture? Because to carry a false vision of God is to invite moments of disappointment, of great disappointment. And there will inevitably come a time and a point when our version of God breaks down and we cry out, this is not what I signed up for. This is not the God that I thought I was worshiping. Which brings us back to expectations. What are our our expectations of God? What is our vision of who God is and what He calls us to do and be? One of the reasons why I like the Karate Kid so much is there's a big reveal moment right in the middle of the movie, and I like those reveal mo- moments. I like it when the expectations are turned upside down, and it's my favorite scene. I think after doing all these chores, this hard labor for Mr. Miyagi, uh, Daniel's had enough. He's ready to quit. He's had enough with painting the fence and painting the house for Mr. Miyagi. He's not learning karate. Instead, he's doing hard labor. But as it turns out, when Miyagi hands him a rag, he's actually helping Daniel understand what karate is all about. He's giving him the basic principles of karate. He's actually giving him the motions. The waxing, the sanding, the painting are all movements of parrying punches and kicks, kicks and Daniel didn't realize it at the time, but it clicks for him eventually. He realizes that the service he was performing was actually part of the training. It was the training for living this kind of life. The rag, the sander, the paintbrush were instruments for teaching him the techniques for karate. And it's a big, big reveal moment about reorienting expectation. Now I see a similar moment here with Peter, and it takes him a while. Uh, Peter carries delusions of grandeur, as the other disciples do, about the Messiah. Uh, Peter has in his mind, uh, this is a time for conquest. Jesus is in, or Peter is in Jesus' inner circle, the inner circle of the Messiah, the one who is going to be the fulfillment of all these promises of God. And Peter is right there, he's in the driver's seat. But instead of a sword, Jesus gives him a rag and he helps Peter reshape his expectations for the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is not going to be the way the world works, the way this fallen world is fueled on violence and anger and revenge, retaliation, the kinds of things that perpetuate and elevate cycles. Jesus is offering Peter, he's offering the disciples, he's offering the church in two thousand twenty a different way to live, a supernatural way to live. It goes against everything in our bones. And no, this is not what Peter signed up for. Back in the Syrian sea, this is not what Peter signs up for. But eventually Peter gets it, and he comes to realize that the way of the cross is actually the better way and really the way of the cross is the only way to bring about renewal and unity that 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 movement that we create that that we crave so much that we're so desperate for runs right through the cross and a life that is shaped by the cross and Peter finally gets it and Peter becomes this this living testimony of God's redemptive power whenever we hand over the keys, whenever we quit shaping God into our own image and we place ourselves at God's mercy and allow Him to do the shaping of our lives and our expectations and our hopes and our vision of who God is. That is what encounter is all about. That is the challenge before us today, to manage our expectations To be open and to be attentive to engaging God on His terms and not our own. And it's not easy to do. To be open to trusting in God where no matter where He takes us, when He says, follow me, we go where He takes us. And we know and we trust that that's the place where we need to go. And that His ways are higher than our ways. So we have the opportunity in 2020 to encounter the true and living God, not the versions of God that we've created in our own minds. We let God set the agenda. We let God set the expectations. And when we have this kind of humility, this kind of approach to God, that's when we are ripe and ready for God's renewal and transformation in our lives. It's when we approach God with that kind of openness, that kind of heart where God says, I finally have something to work with. So last week we gave out these cards, and if you have that card, I would invite you to turn to the back where you have the space under Encounter, and if you don't have a card, there's some encouragement cards in the pew in front of you if you take one out. We're going to have just a moment of silent reflection What I would encourage you to do is write out maybe a prayer or a goal or something that's been stirring in your mind as you've listened in on this passage and the words said about this passage and this idea of encountering God, meeting God, taking God at face value. What is God calling you to do in 2020 in terms of encountering God? Let's write in the silence. There will be some time to reflect on this, hopefully, this week, and uh, to think about this idea of meeting God and adjusting our expectations to letting God show us the way we need to go. And I hope that God continues to stir your thoughts through His Spirit this week and in the weeks to come. But I would want to read these words one more time, the words of the lyrics in the front of this card. Like a seed in the snow I've been buried to grow, from, for your promise is loyal from seed to sequoia. The transformation from something so small to something so big happens only by the power and the grace of God. And this morning, if you'd like to respond to that good news, that really the, the, the work that we need to do It's really out of our hands. We come to God and we let God do the work that only He can do. If you've run into a situation in your life where the expectations have broken down and you've come across a situation that is really beyond you and you need the prayers and the support of your church family, Mm -hmm. now is the time to come. We will surround you. If you want to do this in a more private way, one of our shepherds will be in the chapel following our assembly. But you, we have people here who are ready to help. We have people here who are ready to listen and to walk alongside you if that is what you need. If you have come to a moment of faith and you are ready to be baptized, we can accommodate that this morning for sure. If you've been immersed and you've had conversations with us and you would like to join in with what God is doing here among us at Brentwood Oaks, now's the time to come as we stand and as we sing.